Welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, alongside the other host, Mr. Joe Aitken, here for another compelling conversation about trees. Joe Aitken, August is here. Temps are warm. People are having fun. Trees are going. How are you? How how are things in your world? You know what? Good, Corey. You know, it's I've been in the I've been in this business now 20 years and you cut you know that you know how that the industry rolls through quarters and um you know everything's on track i know in the corporate world there's always the the desire to press for more um and there's always desire in the field to to help more and but you know it's we talked about it in the last podcast is that we've only been on the surface of this crusty earth for a blink, you know, and we've only been, you know, treating trees for a hundred years. And this industry, even though we feel like it's an old industry is just in its infancy. That's uh, it. So it's, it was good. You know, it was, it's, everything's good. You know, the weather, you're right. The weather's good. It's weird with um, with all the kids and the way the world is today that I can't believe that in the end of August, the kids are already going back to school. Wow. You know, it used to be always after Labor Day and then you got Labor Day and it's back to school you go like the first week of September. And I got kids uh, in this area, some school districts are going back to school like in two weeks. Wow. So things are a lot different in the world um, and, when, and in the same breath. They, a lot of things are the same. So, uh, you know, we had a, a very exciting talk about uh, just, it's kind of a, what do you say, around the campfire discussion about the history of trees. And not the history of trees, but more of the evolution of trees. And you did a phenomenal job on going back and dating how old these trees are and how, what, what trees have only been around for 250 million years or something like that. and the world's better. I actually used your quote uh, talking to someone the other day, but you know, we only been doing this for 700 million years. <laughs> well, so I got something out of it and I hope the listeners did too, but you know what, buddy, it's all good. Well, that's, that's funny. You say that because, well, you were at, you were in, in uh, Vallejo, California with me this week. Valley Joe. Did they, did someone, your, I think someone called it. Valley Joe. So you, you were there and you gave, you know, you gave a couple of talks and I, you know, was blessed enough that you let me give part of a talk too. But that line even came up where, you know, we were talking about a lot of the plant health care and a lot of the soil or a lot of the issues that we treat for are related to the soil and how soil parent material at its true, at its true sense, the rock, the parent material is 700 million years old. And trees have evolved over 250 million years to live in that specific type of soil. And then you plant a, 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 a maple in California and you go, why is it yellow? It's just not surviving. It's uh. just not surviving. Throw some water. So anyhow, Joe, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm looking forward to going down this, this rabbit hole and having the conversation tonight about kind of the evolution of plant health care as it relates to uh, taking care of trees. Yeah, there's some really neat, uh, again, historical stories we'll kind of chat about. And, 
you know, insecticides and fungicides have been, you know, it's, and when we look at it, uh, you know, some of the first known insecticide materials go back to the Sumerians about 2500 BC. So they were using like chalk in wood ash. And you think about some of the compounds we'll talk about tonight, like the Bordeaux mixture and purple haze or uh, green, what's it, London green, and some of the chemistries that had these cool names and how they evolved and how not as fast as they evolved is how fast they realized that, yeah, man, it works great on bugs, but it works great on a lot of other things too. Okay, and as a disclaimer, those may or may not be references to different strains of cannabis now. But we're talking about it from the plant health care. The, the scientific compound yes. applied to control insects and diseases. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yo, hey, thank you for the disclaimer. <laughs> I um, I don't dabble in um, plant health care in cannabis. And I probably would know more about the industry. And there's so many varieties and names in cannabis now that and it looks, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's interesting that you say that, Corey, because if you look at cannabis cannabis is a tree if you let it go long enough that's a tree brother yeah Did, were you the one telling me that somebody wanted to inject inject a cannabis plant up in washington oregon was that you talking about uh, that? i had customers here in the midwest that wanted to because i guess i guess if you let it go long enough it they become mother trees and it could be six seven eight ten inches in diameter what yeah, and I'm like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. So that may have to be a talk at a different time because, you know, in what type of wood does a, can, does a cannabis plant produce? Uh, well, I don't know, but I'd love to be around that campfire. Getting... <laughs> <laughs> no, just burn that. Get rid of that. See what yeah, happens. Just but, burn it. You know, chemist, chemicals and chemical applications, again, is... I think it goes hand in hand with the evolution of built environments where we started talking about um, people merging together in communities. Uh, a lot of compounds were first used in agriculture. So ag. And I think at some point, if you think about it, urban forestry is curing for a plant that could be considered a type of ag. I agree. To a degree. So, you know, starting off with, you know, someone dumping their ashes from a tree around the base of a tree, you know, for years and standing back and looking at how that one tree always looked better than the rest. Um, there had to come a time when someone was like, what have you been doing to that tree? What does that look so good? My trees look like shit, but man, that's gorgeous. Oh, we've been dumping this around this. Um, it goes back to something as similar as I had a guy tell me that he had this one oak tree in his backyard. It was always horrible. You heard about it. So he was a mechanic and he was taking the iron shavings from his brake lathe and he would sprinkle it underneath the tree. And the iron cured chlorosis over a period of time so i'm pretty you know and i would almost bet money is that that's how insecticides and fungicides evolved in arboriculture 
oops, man, that looks better. What did you do? And I don't know. Um, like I said, going back and dumping wood ash to control, uh, let me see, what were the things that they were controlling? Um, insects, you know, and they're so-called botanicals. Mm. So uh, getting into stuff like that. Uh, then you get into, you know, in the 18 and 1900s, if we if we leap forward because there were so many, you know, like think about six uh, right around 1670 when arsenic was starting to be used. Yes. Who who were the first to use arsenic in trees, Joe? I believe it is in uh, Greece and in China. Um, we're the first ones to discover. Let's see. The new development section reported the Romans era until the new end of the Renaissance. Oh, cool. So the earliest natural products as insecticide was water extract of tobacco. Huh. So what would be an extract of tobacco? Nicotiana. Yeah, there you go. Nicotinoids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, arsenic was used successfully in colonies against ants. So think about ants in the original 13 colonies having an ant problem using arsenic uh, for control of ants. Um, pyrethrum powder. Uh, 1800s in North America from flowers from the chrysanthemum. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was also known as Persian louse powder. So here goes, this is, this is where it's amazing. And we'll get into a, a compound known as DDT in a little bit. Mm. Not only were they dusting crops, they were dusting each other. So think about the wig days. Yeah. Lice. So this was a louse powder made from chrysanthemums. No kidding. Um, I didn't know that's yeah. what they were using for, for the lice and the wigs back, you know, way, way back when. Wow. Yeah. Was a you know, the principal toxin ingredient nicotine was a stomach poison to insects. Sure. Um, and then he started to mix in nicotine with sulfate. So here's all these pretty hazardous compounds that we're mixing together. Um in some of them now, this was a dust. So dusted. I remember, think about it, when I was a kid, you go down to my buddy's grandpa's farm in Tennessee. And I don't know what I was doing, but he took a burlap bag, poured this white powder in there, and he goes, all right, go dust the tomato plants. So we had to walk down this huge garden with a, a burlap bag full of powder. And you shake it one or two times over the tomato plant, and this fine dust would come down. I'm talking, we're barefoot T-shirts, shorts, Dusting acres and acres of tomato plants with, who knows what I was dusting it with. I wonder if it was Dipel. Oh, I don't know. It's, you got to go back to the, the early 70s. I don't know what they were using back then, but yeah, uh, there was some cool stuff. Yeah, Di um, Dipel and, you know, BT and all that. But yeah, I, I yeah, this is, this is blowing my mind because... I think when a lot of people are referencing plant health care and spraying and fertilizing, not really having a, an appreciation that we've only been doing it for, you know, like this way for maybe a hundred years, but it took a while to build up to where we are today. Oh my God. You know, and in, in their head there, there's obviously a reason why. Yes. Um, we're what using what we're using now, because there was some, there was some pretty, pretty amazing stuff out there. So, you know, let's list a couple of them real. Um, just some of the material. Hellbore. 
never heard of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm look. So those of you who are, are are wondering where we're getting some of the data from, so I just don't. I just don't want to think we're we're pulling it out of our arse. Um, <laughs> you, you know, we get asked before on books that I would recommend. Um, this is another book if you're interested in the history of arboriculture because it goes through everything you can possibly imagine, from tree care practices to horticulture. It's arboriculture history and development in North America by Richard. Campana. Hmm. Uh, it's a great book. It's through MSU Press. Um, and I use I now I actually go through this book quite often because of the, the museum and everything I'm doing. But uh, you know, you start looking into some of the compounds that uh they were uh, hellbore, I don't know, tobacco, oil, pyrethrum. Do you know that in the early days, kerosene was sprayed on trees? Oh boy. Especially back in the gypsy moth days, he goes, that what came, they were trying to find ways to eliminate gypsy moth. They tried everything from scrubbing them off to soaps, to whale blubber, to, mm-hmm. to kerosene. Mm-hmm. Uh, then benzene hexachloride in 1877. Sure. You'd like to know what that did. That even sounds scary. They're still blowing in the dark from that. So those were all organic pesticides. Wow. So they get into some inorganic uh, wood ash, sulfur, arsenic, mercuric chloride. Sounds like a yummy one. Mm-hmm. Uh, phosphorus paste. Here comes Paris green in uh, 1860. Lime sulfur, lead arsenate. Oh, boy. So now it was interesting because I was uh, someone donated to the Museum of City of Detroit, 1947 um forestry uh practice guidebook and the just the hundreds and hundreds of gallons of lead arsenic that they applied on our annual basis was astronomical oh my goodness um and you think about spreading that and with the lack of um ppe back in the day and lead and arsenic in the same compound oh got to be some good stuff so early let's go now let's go into early uses of these insecticides so we all know and we're still battling uh gypsy moth which aka has been changed to spongy spongy moth so be in keeping up with science yeah no disrespect that we said gypsy moth a few times it's going to take a while for me to get used to not saying it but spongy moth the main compound until um, the late 1800s when something else was discovered was lead arsenic sprayed <laughs> on the caterpillars. Um, then borers using carbon sulfide. Mm. You know, scale was petroleum oils, uh, pyrethrum, nicotinoid, and Japanese beetles were lead arsenic. Wow. And that was in the 1930s they were still using it. Isn't that amazing? It's it's so crazy. There, there's only one of those things that I think we're still really using a lot of. To, I mean, you know, pyrethroids to some extent, but I think you said phos, phosphates or phosphites. You said phosphate paste or something like that. It still, was a phosphorus paste. Still using something like that today, which is kind of cool. Well, you know, what's interesting is if you look at the label of a lot of these, obviously it stood the test of time. Right. And there's really in a lot of that uh phosphoric acid or that 
There's no ag restrictions on those. Mm -hmm. So they deemed, and what's amazing with them is as they're part of a nutrition program, they have a fungicidal property to where um, they could help with a lot of your fungicides. Yes. And it's that's one compound that stood the test of time. <laughs> and we're still using it in various forms. But with the evolution of the application, that yeah. tech could be an injected, foliar sprayed, or uh, soil applied. Mm. So we're still using it, but the, the, the techniques have evolved to where we could use it more than one way, which is best for that site, which is pretty cool. So then we start getting into um, fungicide. There was only, uh, in 1850, there was only six chemicals were known with fungicidal properties. Four of these, sulfur, arsenic, mercury, and glycerides. Mercury? Mercury. <laughs> Copper sulfate and zinc chloride, known for wood preservation properties. Oh, my goodness. Um. And then uh, in later in later in the 1800s in France, another copper fungicide. So think copper fungicides. We're still using copper fungicides, yep. and they're refining copper fungicides. Was found to be effective, known as all celeste, heavenly water. <laughs> wow! Um, it was an uh, ammoniated copper for diseases. So that was huge. Copper, arsenic, all this stuff was used in France. Um, and I think some of it to some degree, some of these are still being used for trivia question, Corey, for what industry? In well, France. you said France and you know where we just were last weekend. I'm going to say grapes. Yes, viticulture. Grapes. Yeah. Yeah. So then they got into, there's another one. There's a neat one in here. I think I talked about um, lime sulfur and calcium. Uh, the polysulfide were found to be too caustic uh, on peach. But in 1907, a new formulation of lime sulfur prepared by self-boiling and um, been developed. Being self-boiling had been developed. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Fungicide concerning manufacturing and lime sulfide, overshadowed by Bordeaux mixture. Ooh. So 1890 to 1940 is called the period of Bordeaux mixture because this is first universally successful fungicide was predominant during that time. But the period was also characterized by the rise of sulfur fungicides. The revival of dusts in the beginning development of organic compounds. So, evolution of compounds. So, Bordeaux mixture. So, let what exactly is Bordeaux mixture? I think I remember this one from college. All right. I'm going to let you give it a shot. I was going to say, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but if I remember, you, you kind of already said it. Some kind of a, a copper sulfate, uh, lime and uh water or oil uh copper sulfate and lime ah nice so that no and i remember a lot of the old guys talking about making bordeaux mixture. yeah yeah so you hear about that and it's you're talking the late 1800s to the early 1900s 1940 that was such a common 
very effective fungicide in arboriculture. And you got to remember, even back then, it wasn't until 1932 that arboriculture was even a term used in North America. Um, they were using that before we even knew what an arborist was. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's Bordeaux. Uh, and it came widely accepted as standard fungicide against most fungal diseases of woody plants. So everything that had powdery mildew, leaf spot, uh, anything, everything got Bordeaux mixture. That Bordeaux mm -hmm. mixture. Let's throw it out here. Bordeaux mixture. Cocktail. Yeah. So, um, again, and that came out. And you go back before that, there was diseases, sulfur sulfide, zinc chloride, sulfur lime, creosote. Oh. Um, was a pre-synthetic period of fungicide, sulfur, lime, sulfur, lime and sulfur, blah, 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 blah. Tar, sulfur, Amerca, Amerca was in the four, 470 BC against olives for blight, Amerca. Never heard of that. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. It's pronounced America, Joe. So that, that takes you up to... World War One, two, some somewhere in there. Yeah, so you know it's interesting in that we kind of skipped over it, but um, from went from insecticides to fungicides. But there is, you know, one of the most famous um, uh, insecticide is what DDT. I guess yeah. If you were talking about, I guess that, that's a wide open question. It was way too wide. If you think about the one insecticide that really changed the direction of app applying insecticides would be, I would, I would, I would say DDT, not DDP, not Diamond Dallas Pidge, but uh, dichloral diphenyl trichlorothane. You dork! <laughs> uh, no, but you're right. Um, it was first formulated by an Austrian graduate student, Othman Ziedler, in 1873. Othman. Um, the, the, but the properties were not well known until chemical was resurrected in 1938 by Paul Mueller, a Swiss chemist, with J.R. Giegli Company in Switzerland. So what really got this thing off and going uh, a Swiss potato crop with the ravages of a Colorado potato beetle. You ever heard of that insect? I've heard of it. Yeah. Well, that spurred it over in Switzerland. And discovery its insecticidal capacity at that time made it possible to use DDT in World War II. And believe it or not, Mueller received a Nobel Prize for his work in 1948. For DDT, he received yeah. a Nobel Peace Really? Yeah. Now I did a I did a project on DDT, and I interviewed a lot of um, a couple of professors, old school professors that were on Michigan State. Now they did a big whiteboard uh, for an event on DDT, and did you know that today, if they test for it on some of the historical grounds on campus, the known storage locker, um, they can still find traces of DDT. Oh man, on campus, it's crazy. So I think that was its downfall. Mm -hmm. DDT, just like the um, the louse insecticide we're talking about earlier, was used during World War II to dust troops for 
mosquitoes for malaria and probably saved millions upon millions of American troops. So um, one thing about that is that it doesn't biodegrade, which we don't want a compound like that lasts forever. So we, um, we talked about this in the past. Compounds that we use today break down within a week or two. DDT doesn't. And it's there. Well, we, we only have a few minutes left in this episode, but let's let's talk about DDT. I mean, you you brought it up kind of in our pre-show conversation with um Sarah Sarah Carson, Rachel Carson. Rachel Carson. Rachel Carson. So because of the bioaccumulation and magnification of those pesticides in the terrestrial ecosystem, and I'm remembering that because I had to I had to memorize that for a presentation in college. But because of that and how it would accumulate, and Joe, we could talk about the food chain for a second on why these pesticides are so bad. Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, outlines it. Yeah, and it was discovered by an ornithologist at Michigan State University uh, where robins were dying and um, they couldn't figure out why a robin couldn't lay a solid egg anymore. And the eggs were coming out soft and they never matured and the population was crashing. Well, the ornithologist, and I, I wish I remembered his name because he deserves a lot of credit. Mm. Uh, I apologize. Uh, one of our next episode, I'll give him his due credit. But they found out that it came down to insecticide DDT. Crazy. And that's when Rachel Carson wrote the book. And I believe it was the 60s. You know, there's a lot of good things going on in the 60s and a lot of crazy things. But um, let me see. When was this? 1962 is when Silent Spring came out. Um, here, Albert Schweitzer, who said, man has lost the capacity to foresee and to forestall. He will end by destroying the earth, mm. is the preface in Silent Spring. So I think that's that's still, that's still uh, go strong for today. Well, yeah, and that book... And the research that was done by this, uh, by this, by this doctor, that was part of the um, Environmental Protection Act of the 70s, 70 something. Yeah. Um, so it, th- that was really, you know, right after World War II. And, and like you said, Joe, a lot of crazy things going on in the 60s, early 70s. But that's also what kind of gave us a lot of our laws and regs today um, was all from from what was going on then. Yeah, and it's unfortunate a lot of times it takes a while to see the long-term effects of an insecticide or a fungicide or even a fertilizer. Um, you know, there's a thin layer of soil that forms a, a patchy covering over the over the land. Uh, and our own existence or that of every animal on the land depends on that. So mm-hmm. without soil, land plants can't grow. And without plants, no animals can survive. So as we look above grade, and that was why it was so neat to be in California last week and talk to a lot of West Coast arborists about the value of soil, we all owe our life to it. And we owe our life to the farmers that maintain it. And uh, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, urban trees are a crop. Yeah, we need to look below our feet to maintain this urban forestry uh, more and more each day because we're not going to have the tools that we have today in the future to preserve mighty specimens. So we're going to have to do a better job on uh, looking underneath our feet and saving the worms. 
Uh, it, it reminds me of the movie Dumb and Dumber. I got worms. I got worms. <laughs> <laughs> so get worms. And then I got to leave you with one thing. Um, get yourself some worms. Yeah, no, that that's great, Joe. It, it, we, we could keep this series going if we want. Of course, we'll talk offline about that. But yeah, dichloral, diphenyl, trichlorothane, DDT. Big <laughs> one. It changed the direction of how we do business. It, it really did. It, it really did. And, you know, for, for those who maybe just picked out this episode to listen to, we, we really do thank you for nerding out with us for a while here. Obviously, this this covers quite a bit of uh, the evolution of some of the pesticides that we use and some of the plant health care things that we're doing in our industry. And we could go another night. We, we might. We might decide that's right. But um, we really thank you for listening. We thank you for tuning in, Joe. Thank you for the research that you did for this episode. And, uh, man, I'm looking forward to the next one. I think the next one's going to have to be herbicides and tree growth regulators. You That's, know, you and I talk about saving trees. What about killing them? We should go that direction. Let's do it. All right. Put that in the queue, Corey. Awesome, Joe. Well, hey, thank, thanks again. And thank you, listeners. We really appreciate and uh, love having you aboard. Hey, great topic today. Yes, and lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing Signing out. out.